Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving at your desk. Maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. Joining me as ever is Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Pretty good, Betters. Pretty good. I was um, vocal in the weeks leading up to this India series that I thought it was a big waste of time, and I, I still think it was. But I must admit that when the actual series began, I really loved it. I enjoyed every moment of it. I think that uh, I don't necessarily like the BCCI, but I realised how much I do like India and Indian crowds and the Indian, um, the entire thing that India brings to cricket. It was three pulsating games. Disappointing result in the end for Australia. We'll get into that in the show. But uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the series for a series that I thought was shouldn't, shouldn't have gone ahead. So in today's episode, we're going to talk to the chief cricket writer for the Australian, Peter Lawler. We're going to wrap up that one-day series in India. We're going to talk about the Big Bash and the cricket headlines. And then we're going to bring it all home with an old favourite, the commentary critique segment. So if you are a current cricket commentator, that would be the time to switch off. <laughs> and uh, in some show news... Uh, as you may have heard, if you're on social media, we're thrilled to announce that Jaleesa Apps is now a regular member of the podcast crew. She's agreed to come on as often as her schedule permits. Uh, she is a very good sports reporter for Channel 9, which does take up a lot of her time, Paul, but great to have her on board. Yeah, fantastic addition to the show. I'm really, really excited. So hopefully we'll get her back in the next couple of shows. Joining us on the podcast now is the Chief Cricket Writer for the Australian, Peter Lawler. Pete, how are you? Uh, not too bad, thanks, gentlemen. Uh, have you enjoyed the season? Pete, do you think it's been a, a good season for Australian cricket? It's always a bit of a lower-profile season after an Ashes uh, campaign and everything else, but have you enjoyed it? Yeah, uh, Paul, I reckon, yeah, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a, 
season of consolidation. I thought they made some ground in a lot of areas. They didn't lose much ground. Um, going through it quickly. I mean, the obvious thing, you know, we got uh, what's his name, Marnus Labuschagne. He's come. Yep. He's the he's the goods, isn't he? Absolutely. Uh, he's, uh, confirmed what he showed in the winter, and I, I'm a long. I've always been a fan of Tim Payne's captaincy and his position, and I think that he consolidated that with that during the summer. Warner was back. Um, it's hard to think of anyone who really went backwards. Maybe, maybe Matty Wade didn't exactly go forward, but uh, I'm not too concerned about him. So yeah, it's pretty good summer for Australian cricket, and the, the crowds were great. The, the viewing numbers were great. Uh, podcast listeners through the roof. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So it seems pretty good, I reckon. What did, I don't know what you guys thought. Oh, I agree with you on the field. Uh, I, I sense I've sensed a little bit of disengagement with some of my cricket-loving friends. They haven't been as close to the to their interest in the cricket as they normally would be. And I'm not sure whether that is just because, as I said, it's a slightly lower-profile summer or, or what the case may be. But um, have you sensed any of that? You, not, not, not at all. Uh, no, I haven't sensed that, but. I feel like there was more engagement this summer than last summer. I think that everyone was still a bit stunned last summer, weren't they? And um, I think it might be that difficult period after the, you know, that awkward period after the breakup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's tentatively finding their way back to that relationship you used to have. How's the Big Bash going? Tell me. Well... I think on the field it's been uh, slightly better than last summer. There's been a lot more action. The matches have been more competitive, higher scores. But the crowds are about the same as last year, maybe slightly down. But I think we need to wait till the end of the season and see how the average crowd turns out. But I think it's going to be roughly what it was last year. I did note that the TV ratings were slightly down. Uh, but but I think I think the the comp, more compact schedule is better than the the schedule last summer. Yeah, it's a bit of a concern that they haven't had a bump on last summer. I would have thought, you know, because last summer was probably as bad as it gets in a way. Cricket was on the nose, the games weren't good, the grounds weren't good. Uh, it, it's funny, it, it it's not as strong as I thought it would be this summer. The big bash, but for all the names and things, but it, it, at least it seems to be getting some attention. There's something to talk about most of the time, isn't there? Although the games haven't been all that competitive, from what I can tell. But yeah. uh, I've had a few people say to me that they're a bit worried about it. They think it's a bit on the nose. I felt that way, and then I've started to come around to thinking. I remember hearing the guys from South Park after um, when they had an interview. They <laughs> said that <laughs> seasons two and three of South Park just went through the roof and their ratings were massively high. And then they dropped and they sort of said, rather than feeling like, oh, this was us on the decline, that it was, that was an aberration and this is us settling at our normal level. I suppose it's a possibility that this is the Big Bash's normal level and that to get 80,000 to a domestic game of cricket in Australia probably isn't something that we can expect very often. No, no. It seems like those times, when it was about 2016 when they were peaking, and they were... The crowds are, are, are way off that at the moment. But yeah, I just had a few people say to me they were concerned about just the, the way it was feeling. But um, to me, it's just on all the time. It just doesn't feel special to me. But I know it's not made for me or people like me. But it's kind of always there, so you can take it or leave it. And I tend to leave it. 
Yeah, well, when it was at its peak was when there weren't that many games. I think the, the peak season, I think each team had eight home, eight games. So you sort of felt if you missed one, you are really missing out. Whereas with 14 games per team, if you're following a yeah. side, if you miss one, you know, you know there's a lot of others you're going to watch. Do, you know, do you hear anything behind the scenes from the players about it? Uh, the only things that I've picked up, and I, it's, it's not by no means a, a representative sample, I feel there's a lot more niggle in it this year. I feel it, it feels bad-tempered to me. I've had people behind the scenes sending me, uh, sending me stuff alleging that one side was ball-tampering. Wow. On closer examination, it looked like it, but I'm told that on closer examination, um, it's not ball-tampering. But And then you've got all that sort of backbiting about the um, the throwing. Chris you know, Green, Chris Green yep. caught up on that. That that caused some, some bad blood in the competition. Uh, there was a bit going down with that. And then there was that unfortunate inter- incident with Marcus Stoinis. But, uh, yeah, I, that, that's all I'm picking up. Just, just a lot of niggling behind the scenes. Yeah, you wrote about – actually, the last thing I think you wrote before you took some time off was about – what happened to Marcus Stoinis? You, you sort of said that it was the wrong process, but maybe the right outcome. Do you want to just explain that? My point was that I I thought he needed a ban, a, you know, a decent ban to send a message to everybody in the game, um, because I thought Pattinson deserved to be banned for for what he said, and he wasn't. I mean, we know he missed a test, but he missed a test because he had an accumulation of demerit points. Uh, my point is that the, the game need, needed to make a stand about homophobia and not make excuses, as it had done up to that point, uh, why it was a good outcome in the end, because I was very impressed with what Marcus Stoinis said. In fact, he said, this is just not on. I'm terribly, terribly ashamed of what I did. Um, Paddo wasn't as articulate, and Paddo started t- sort of talking this nonsense about crossing lines and, you know, playing on edge and all that rubbish we've been hearing for years from players and I never want to hear again frankly um, on any subject I hate that word that phrase the line um, so anyway I, I, I was really impressed with how Stoinis responded as an individual and he made a statement and said this isn't on there's no excuses and and I don't think he made excuses but I did notice that Malcolm Knox wasn't as impressed as I was by what he said but uh, that's me and it's my rant I mean Homophobia is just one of those things that gets right up my nose. Um, I'm very sensitive to it. Uh, And I think the game is not sensitive enough to it. And I think that's what this summer has proven. They had a chance to make an example of Pato. They didn't do it, James Pattinson. They didn't even, and in both instances, the game and the process never actually revealed what was said or why they were sanctioned. You know, there was this catch-all. But uh, there were two identical incidents of homophobia. And, and I felt that the game needed to make a stand on it, and it didn't. But at least Marcus Stoinis did. Do you think there you that... go. You've got me ranting again. <laughs> no, no. Do you, do you... <laughs> but but see, do you think they need to look at having some more stringent guidelines so if particular terms are used on the field, then that um, constitute, uh, you know, a mandatory ban? Yep. That's make exactly it... what I think. Yep. Okay, good. It's right. hate speak. Yeah. Sorry, Paul, I didn't hear that. I was just going to ask, uh, just on a different, uh, just on a different tack, um, with regards to the Glenn Maxwell non-selection from India. Uh, as far as I am aware, it's purely form-related. There's murmurings in the in the background that it might have been that they said, "Well, look, sit this one out. Um, 
you'll be better off just playing in the Big Bash, coming back from those mental health concerns. Have you had it, heard anything around that? Was it totally form-related or was there more to it? Uh, no, I've, I've only heard it was form-related and, and, and not that sort of mental health issue. Um, I don't think I've ever sat at... I've, I don't think I've ever noticed the absence of Maxwell as much as I did in that... Was it the second game or the third game? Both, I think they, both. Both, yeah. Both, yeah. You just sat there and you thought, gee, this game needs someone who can really take it on in the last 10, 15 overs. And where is he? He's back at home in the Big Bash. So I've never missed... I, I've never noticed his absence more than in those games, which isn't to say that he would have performed, but he, I, I'd be interested to see if the selectors got a, got the message of that. They they were missing that, that, that extra gear, weren't they? when they'd established a platform, but but then they couldn't take it up a notch. I also think that they were missing him with the ball, that even in that third game when Stark and Cummins both had an off day and yet Australia kind of had no choice but to give them 20 overs. If Maxwell was in the side, there was probably... He, he would have been uh, sort of locked in eight overs, one for 45 kind of thing that would have been very helpful as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Mm. Um, I think they're shaping up to be a great one-day side. I agree. Yeah. They, I, um, they they're a better to, one day side than the one that played in the World Cup. Yeah, they just need to get that middle order right. Ashton Turner just looks horribly out of form. I feel sorry for him being feel sorry for him being picked in that sort of uh, form. But yeah, I think Maxwell got a bit of a rough deal. I know he didn't have a, an amazing World Cup, he, but he was asked to play a really difficult role, which is the the sort of pinch hitter that comes in when you need to accelerate, and that's not always going to work. So I feel like he's been again probably hard done by. Yeah, yeah, he had a, a really difficult role, didn't he? in the World Cup. It reminded me of Ian Harvey back in the day. Do you remember him, guys? The freak. Yep. <laughs> He'd always come in and have to, like, swing from the rafters from the first or second ball and got in trouble. But uh, never quite to, got to fulfil his promise as often as you wanted him to. That's right. Yeah. The um, enigma of Glenn Maxwell and selection will haunt us for a long time, I think. Oh, for but sure. where do you bat him? I mean, he's got to be a finisher, doesn't he? I think he can be either. I think that if he comes in as a finisher, then that's great. Yeah. But if he comes in at the top of the order and you just say to him, take a few balls to get your eye, you're not allowed to play a reverse sweep till you face eight balls, um, then yeah. he, he potentially could go, get a few centuries. I, I just think that if I'm picking the one-day side, he's always one of the first players I pick. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are with you on that. I reckon he'll be back in the side soon, don't you? Not for sure. I can't see him. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure. Hey, uh, are you going to Bangladesh? Uh, we'll never make a decision on that until the last minute, but uh could be Andrew Faulkner, actually. He's our Bangladesh specialist. <laughs> does <laughs> he know very that? fond of it. Uh, yeah, he does know that. He, he's very fond of Bangladesh. I've never been there. I wouldn't mind going, but if uh, Andrew, Andrew's got his heart set on it, he can go. That'll be good. But Pete, um, before I let you go, I know you're going to go and relax now, but I believe you, me and Paul are having dinner with Ricky Ponting soon. <laughs> 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 Looking forward to that too. Yes. Now that he's, yeah. Uh, the, uh, what, what's, what do we call it? The Chapel Foundation. When, uh, 8th of February, is it, or 11th of February? God help me. Okay. Do me <laughs> anyway, look on the website. I should know. You can you never let me organise anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a Chapel Foundation fundraiser. You guys were there last year. We had Jimmy Barnes. He sang. I don't know if um, Punter is going to sing for us, but I'm kind of looking forward to it because I think you get into an intimate conversation with Punter 
on the stage there, yeah, uh, there's nobody knows more about cricket. In my mind, he's you know, he is the sort of source of all knowledge on cricket mm. and wisdom. If Panda says something, it's the truth. Yeah, yeah, and God help you if you disagree. Anyway, but yeah, the, the Chapel Foundation. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to get a plug in now. We raise money for homeless youth. We're all volunteers. We are the tightest charity known to man. Um, I can't tell you exactly, but I reckon we're about 98 cents in a dollar goes to where it should go. Fantastic. We don't have overheads. Everybody volunteers. We beg, borrow, and steal just about everything. Um, and last year we raised about $1.5 million and, and distributed it to charities. Um, all sort of coal-faced people on you know, all around youth homelessness. So if you want to come and hear um, Punter and sit with Paul and Menace, those rogue <laughs> podcasters. <laughs> um, what? I thought I was asking... I thought I was asking yeah. Ricky the questions. Aren't I interviewing you Ricky? Guys should, you guys should have your own table there, really. You should do a live podcast. <laughs> don't, tempt, dinner. don't tempt us. On the 11th of February, by the way, that's the date. Feb 11th, yeah. sorry, yeah. All right. You know what's well, unfair, mate? It's the final of the BBL. Exactly. Well, Pete, um, we're going to see you at that dinner for sure because hopefully we're sitting with you. Um, so thanks so much for coming at the on SCG the SCG in Sydney. Yep. So go tickets to tickets available online. Chapelfoundation.com.au, I think it is. Um, go there and have a look if you're interested. Pete, uh, have some well earned time off, and we'll catch up soon. Take care, guys. Thanks, Pete. Okay. Great stuff as always there from Peter Lawler. We are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to wrap up the one day series from India. And Zams, well, I'm a bit biased, but I think he's the best white ball short uh, spin bowler in the world. Uh, he takes big wickets. He, he got Cole out in the, the most recent series a couple of times. He always takes big wickets in the BBL and. Uh, He's probably best asset as he can, um, competes in every game he plays. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Manners. I'm with Paul Dennett. And that was the Melbourne Stars coach, David Hussey, commenting that Adam Zampa may be the best white ball spinner in the world. I'm not quite sure about that. He's a very good one, though, isn't he, Paul? He is. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see his career evolve over the next couple of years. He did, he did well in this series. The big criticism of him, I suppose, has been that he doesn't have massive turn and that in this modern one-day era, it's sometimes those type of attacking spin bowlers that really make the difference. But he's got phenomenal accuracy. He turns it just enough uh, both ways. So he's certainly Australia's number one choice at the moment and may well be all that way all the way through to the World Cup. And I've got to say, I really like Adam Zampa. I think he's got a bit of charisma. I like the fact that he sort of swims against the tide. Yeah, he's yep. a vegan. He's quite outspoken about his beliefs. He's not your cookie-cutter cricketer, so I think he's a, a great character for the game. Yeah, I agree. All right, so uh, we were pretty happy last uh, week when we <laughs> recorded the podcast after Australia had absolutely flogged India in the first one-day international the Indians turned the table on the Aussies, beating us 2-1, winning the last two games. And overall, Paul, I think that the Australian side will look back on this series as a lost opportunity. I actually think they had a really good chance to win it, not just winning the first game, but you know, winning all three tosses and stuff. So I think kind of botched an opportunity to win an away one-day series. I agree. Um, and we've copped a little bit of stick, good-natured stick from a few Indian fans of the podcast on social media. Didn't help that I called the last episode India aren't good anymore. Yeah, that was a <laughs> questionable decision. Um, but 
Hey, look, we've got to cop it. Uh, we lost the Series 2-1. India won it fair and square. It's in the books. They deserve to win. So in the light of what I'm next, next going to say, I want to emphasise that. I'm not complaining. I completely accept that India won and they deserve to win. But I tend to agree with you um, that Australia did have a missed opportunity. And if put it this way. Let's imagine that there was a fourth game coming up and we were previewing it tonight and saying, who do you think is going to win? I would imagine that India would be starting as pretty strong favourites and the tide would be against Australia, all the momentum in, in India's favour, and which to a degree would be true. But if you look at the overall series results, India made 255 in that first game. Australia got it numbed down after 37.4 overs. For the sake of argument, I've said, what would Australia have scored had they just been able to bat the entire innings? And I've said 370. So that's a 115-run win. This is a new accounting method I've developed. <laughs> Second game, India beat Australia by 36. That's pretty much locked in. Third game, Australia 286. India 3 for 289 after 47.3. I've given India 340 had they just been able to bat their full. So did we actually win the series by these stats? By these stats, we have won the series. Fantastic. <laughs> I'll take that. 2-1 Australia. We've won the series by 25 runs. Now, of course, that means nothing. But what I'm saying is that I think that that first win was a colossal, colossal win. And I think Australia will take a lot from this series. Your point on the tosses is is an interesting one. And again, we're going to complain here about Australia's um, poor choice of things to do. And Indian fans would say, you won all three tosses. How can you be criticising? How can you be complaining? But I think that they definitely got it right to bat um, second in the first game. But in the second game, um, it was a kind of well-known point that it's easier to um, to bat first in Rajkot than it is to bat second. So I don't know why they won the toss and chose to bowl. Third game... Again, it was a, a, all the Indian commentators were of a pretty unanimous opinion that the right thing to do there was to bowl. So I thought that uh, Australia got the second and third tosses around the wrong way. Yeah, I agree. I think Finch got his decisions at the toss wrong. As, as we mentioned with Pete Lawler, I think they got the team selection wrong. If they weren't going to pick Glenn Maxwell, they needed someone like Moses Enriquez or Mitch Marsh in the middle order. They're not Ashton Turner. I don't know what's happened with Ashton Turner. He was so brilliant in that series... Um, in March, and yet his scores since then have been really, really disappointing. And I, I hope that um, whatever is the case gets fixed because he's one of my favourite players. And I think at his best, I want him in the Australian side. But, yeah, looking at the form that he's been in, it was a strange decision to pick him. How do you think Marnus went in his first one-day series? Really well. Uh, I thought that, um, you know, he, he came out to bat in difficult situa- situ- situations and he scored um, pretty aggressively. Obviously, didn't quite go on with the job, but uh, I, I think he showed enough that he should be in the side. And I don't agree with the notion that Smith and Labuschagne can't be in the side together. I think that um, both players can score more quickly than people give them credit for. And I, I think that I want them both in my side. Yeah, I agree. I think Marnus looks very accomplished against uh, the Indian spinners and he was able to rotate the strike. He looked right at home at that level. So I'm curious to see how his one day career emerges because you know he hasn't done a lot of great things at one day domestic level so uh, you know maybe but maybe he's going to make some you know big scores at international level now yeah definitely uh, i'm really excited by it and i think that um as pete said i think we're on australia is on the verge of being a great one day side disappointing final two games in india doesn't change that now uh, last thing now uh, ashton agar and adam zampa were the two spinners Obviously, they've got an eye now to the 2023 50-over World Cup that will be in India. Do you think Agar and Zampa will be the spinners then or, or someone else could emerge? 
Um, it's such a long way into the future that the odds are that someone else will emerge just because you, you look at any um, predictions three years out and they're almost always wrong. Uh, hopefully, you know, someone amazing comes with it. Tanvir Sanger um, is, is bowling well in the World Cup, for the, the Youth World Cup at the moment. Lloyd Pope. Nathan Lyon will still be potentially around. He's not that old. So uh, at this stage, I think Zampa and Agar are definitely worth their place in the side, but three is a long way to forecast. Yeah, I'm more confident about Adam Zampa. I am not convinced yet about Ashton Agar. He's obviously a super talent, but I'm just not sure his bowling's quite good enough for the highest level yet. Uh, maybe it will be down the track. One thing that I really liked was Mitchell Stark being sent out as a pinch hitter, and I think that it's received a little bit of criticism because he got a duck, and it's um, a lot of people have said this shows the uh, lack of power in the Australian middle order that they had to promote Stark, and I, I don't disagree with either of those points, but I thought it was great that he was brought up as a pinch hitter. You know me, man, as that pinch hitting is one of my um, the things I love most in cricket. But I love it for a reason, and that is that... And it was interesting how the commentators talked about it. Um, Lakshman Shivarana Christian said that why would you bring him out ahead of the batters who would be you know, clearly better at batting? And Harsha Bogle sort of made the point, it's a question of, uh, of value, that if, if Mitchell Stark gets out, it doesn't really matter to Australia. He, he, and that's often the case, that often the lower order don't really get a bat. So he did the right thing. He went out, got out. So if a pinch hitter like Mitchell Stark comes in, cracks 30 off 15, well, you're laughing... As long as he doesn't linger and linger and ruin the innings, then I think you're laughing either way. And I think that there's a, an opportunity to do that more and they should be taking that opportunity. Yeah, wasn't he facing, was it Yadav or one of the spinners, Jadeja, was spinning mm. into him. Yes. And they were trying to get Stark to target him, which he did after three balls and got caught. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of a knock-on turner, though. Like, I think if Maxwell was there, they never would have sent Stark ahead of Maxwell. So I think it is a slight knock that they weren't confident Turner could go in there and just put the foot down straight away. Yeah, I agree. But Maxwell can, uh, sorry, uh, Stark can and has been shown to do it in the past that when he comes out with total freedom, um, before you know it, he can cloud a few sixes over long on and um, really upset the rhythm of the opposition. Yeah, I love watching Stark. He's got 10, 11 test half centuries, so he's no mug with the bat. All right, so that's our wrap of the one-day series out of India. The Aussies went down 2-1 to the Indians, unfortunately. We're going to take a little break and then we'll be back with the cricket headlines. A couple of things. Firstly, if you've got a chance, please rate and review the podcast. We read out a few reviews last week. Uh, Ran into Lachlan since that show and had a bit of a chat about his mate who left a review. That was amusing. Um, And, uh, yeah, today we're videoing this show, so you you might be watching this. I uh, dressed up. This is my new look. I call it the Fox Sports News look that I'm spruiking. Uh, Paul's gone for a different look. He can describe it. Uh, But, yeah, for those watching, (laughs) that's our look. And, uh, you know, before we played the sound of Dave Hussey, I don't know if the listeners will be interested, but you and I had a quite heated discussion about whether Mark Taylor was a better batsman than Dave Hussey. So I think if you're listening out there, I'd love you to tweet me and let me know if you think Dave Hussey or Mark Taylor was a better player. It's, just, I mean, it's almost pointless. Obviously, Hussey was better. His average was so much higher. And <laughs> Ridiculous. He didn't get to tour England in 89 against one of the worst bowling attacks of all time. I, in all seriousness, I think Dave Hussey was very, very, very unlucky not to play test cricket. Let us know your thoughts. And on that note, we'll take a quick break and be back with the cricket headlines. Is it safe to say that in most of those games, if you won the toss, you probably would have bowled first? <laughs> That's very safe. That is a very safe <laughs> assumption to say that I, I don't like Duckworth or Lewis. Or Stan. <laughs> Sorry? Or Stan. Uh, Mo, um, <laughs> you've been hitting the ball so well all summer. Do you feel like 
this summer's almost been your career best form so far? I don't think so. Um, you know, for a start, it's only half the season so far. Um, you know, still got hopefully a fair bit of BBL cricket to play and a bit of Shield cricket to play as well. Um, you know, I feel like I've had equally, if not better, seasons in the past in Shield and one-day cricket as well. Um, so I wouldn't say it's my best. It's you know, it's 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 going okay. It's going nicely at the moment, but there's still a lot of cricket to be played. Yeah. Did did the 80s music do anything for the players tonight? No, I didn't even notice it to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't know what the crowd was tonight. If it was, I think it was something like 15 or yeah, 16,000. But maybe because of the shortened game, they were, you know they were making noise for 30. So it was, it was a really good atmosphere out there in the middle. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Andrew Mensel. I'm with Paul Dennett. That was Sydney Sixers captain Moses Enriquez. Let's get straight into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Enriquez, I think he's having a stellar season. He's batting so well, not just in the, the games we've commentated in the Shield, but in that last Big Bash game I'm talking about, he hit eight sixes. He smashed 72 of 31 deliveries. It was astonishing stuff. Surely he has to be considered in Australia's middle order. I was all set to agree with you till I heard that audio. I mean, <laughs> Duckworth and Lewis, if you that they are two of the. And great, he doesn't even know who Stern is. I know that's Professor Stern. Um, look, always forgotten about. Yeah, uh, if you don't like Duckworth and Lewis, then the only alternative is the minute one ball is rained off, you call the game off because there's no better alternative. The old systems they used to have were terrible. Uh, so let's you know. Let's show some love to Duckworth, Lewis and Stern. They are three amazing gentlemen. I'll never hear a bad word said of them. Yeah, look, Enriquez is batting fantastically. That innings the other night was really special. And I think that um, remarkably, given that I think a lot of people thought his international days were finished, he is on the cusp potentially of a call-up, I think. Yeah, and a well-deserved one if he gets it. I think he would have done well in that one-day series just gone. Now, the Big Bash will get very exciting now because all the players that were playing for Australia in India are available for Big Bash clubs. The only ones that don't have contract are Warner, Cummins and Stark. Everyone else will be playing and it is getting very tight. Um, The Melbourne Stars have sewn up top spot. But then um, the Sydney Sixers are in second on 15 points. The Adelaide Strikers third on 13 points. Perth Scorchers fourth on 12 points. And then a really tight tussle, I think, for the sort of fourth and fifth spots between the Thunder, the Heat and the Hurricanes um, heading into the back end of the competition. Since our last show, the Renegades have won two games. But, yeah, the Thunder are on 11 points, the Heat on 10 points and the Hurricanes on nine points. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very tight finish. And there is, as I have checked the odds, an 8% chance, I'm just going to flag this now, that I will be digging out the audio from Lachlan's show where he predicted the Perth Scorchers would win the competition and you laughed at him. They are <laughs> currently an 8% chance of winning. I will say Lachlan did point out when I saw him recently that the Scorchers were doing pretty well. Yeah, so I, I'm always cheering them on. It would be great to be able to bring that audio back. And um, I don't think they're going to win, though. I, I think they might get into the finals, but they I won't win. I think there's a 92% chance that you're correct. Well, thank you very much. I, I think this um, ladder is a big tick to the final system. Looking at it now, I really like the fact that there's that fifth spot because it does keep a couple more teams in contention right at the end of the tournament. And the way they've weighted the final system, I think, accurately reflects where you finish on the table. So I'm quite comfortable with five making the finals. And I do like that because it does mean that you know the Hurricanes uh, and the Heat and the Thunder have got this sort of, and even the um, Perth Scorchers are in this sort of tussle for that fifth spot. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, 
We've said it before. It's a bit ridiculous that you can finish um, five out of eight, fifth out of eight teams and, and win the competition. No other competition in world sport allows that. But I'm okay with it because I think that it is a competition that's trying to get the balance between entertainment and rigour. And as you say, if you do finish fifth and win it, then you've, you've done some pretty amazing things to do so. So yeah, I'm happy with it You would well. have won four knockout games if you're the fifth team to actually lift the title. Now, highlights from the week of Big Bash cricket. There was a strange Sydney derby with the Sydney Sixers making 76 and 16 overs. The Thunder won the game after they smashed two for 28 of 5.3 overs. The Sixers got the worst of conditions, sort of batting, you know, with rain coming and going. And it really sort of took any sort of rhythm out of their innings. And the Thunder sort of just got snuck over the line, I would say. It was interesting that... Um, had the Sixers not bowled that over from Ben Dwarshus in the uh, Thunder chase, they might have actually won. Um, Dwarshus got hammered, and then peculiarly, peculiarly, the Thunder sent out Daniel Sams as a pinch hitter when all that they needed to do was just accumulate runs because losing another wicket in Duckworth Lewis could have meant that they actually lost the game. So it actually went down to the wire in a game that the Sixers were, were you know, basically con- consummately thrashed. They almost um, uh, stole an amazing victory. I'm not sure about five overs as a minimum for a game. Uh, I, I'd prefer if they made it ten overs. I think that five just seems too short for me. Ten overs seems more robust. And I'd also say that I'd be happy if they allowed a bit longer uh, to get the games in. I know if it's a first game and a double header that the last thing they really want is to have uh, the first game dwindling on as the second game has already begun. But that's probably going to happen. It happened wh- the other night. Yeah, it did, but only by... One over. One over. If it was to happen... Once every second season, they could flick it onto a second channel and it would be a bit of fun. And I just think it'd be better that... It seems strange that as soon as there's a bit of time lost, then the um, the overs are, are reduced. I, I would prefer if they gave a greater chance to get um, more of a, a meaningful game in. Yeah, five or six over game just seems a bit strange. I think sort of eight, ten overs should be about your minimum. Uh, we did see an astonishing collapse by the Brisbane Heat in the last week. The biggest ten-wicket collapse in Big Bash history. The Heat were chasing 165 against the Renegades. They were none for 84, cruising along, and they lost a lazy 10 for 36 to crash to a big, big loss. Chris Lynn looked distraught after the game. And it was the first time in domestic T20 cricket that a team has been dismissed, having been none for 84 or higher. Thank you to Rick Finlay for that stat. Um, now, one other thing that I, I just um, <laughs> want to cover off. I don't know about you, but I just get so annoyed by that low camera angle that Foxtel in particular, maybe Channel 7 does it, does it a bit as well. I sometimes forget which network I'm watching. When they have that camera angle from mid-off, low, tight shot, and they keep it for the entire ball. I'm fine for, for replays. The same if you ever, any tennis fans out there, every now and again they get the low camera angle for tennis and it drives me mad there as well. Um, I put out a tweet asking people's opinions. 67% agreed with me and said they didn't like it. 33% they said they did. I thought it would be much more dramatic, but still, I'll cop those numbers. That's a big win. Foxtel was CC'd on the poll, and I haven't seen them use that since. I'm sure it's a coincidence, but you never know. So no, maybe mate, Fox Cricket had dialed into this podcast. Don't you worry, so... <laughs> What's your view on it, Menas? I don't like it either because if you had a choice of sitting there or sitting in any better seat and there's a lot of them in the ground, you wouldn't sit where the camera is. Yeah. So why would you put a camera angle from there? I I, I don't mind um, a view from the stands that they do sometimes where it's sort of a different angle to look at it, but I think being that low, yeah, you're right. It's just not good. And if the ball 
determines such that that would be an interesting replay, then by all means, show the replay. Do whatever you want on the replay, but live, give us the pure, the pure angle. Now, moving on from the Big Bash, England have beaten South Africa in the third test. They go 2-1 up in the four-test series. And it made me think about what are the real test rankings at the moment. And if I were to rank the test nations at the moment, I would go India number one, Australia number two, New Zealand third, England fourth, and South Africa fifth. What about you? Can you see any problems in my top five and that order? I think India deserved to be number one based on their remarkable run of form in recent years. So I have no quibble there. But if I was to say, who do I think would win? Again, I use this fictional concept of if they were going to play a a World Cup of Test cricket in a neutral neutral game on Mars or something. Yeah, on Mars, yeah. I think Australia would win. I think India would come second. And then I think there would be an absolute chasm and I think England would probably come third. Um, yeah, right. I know England lost. What, what about just, like, not playing on Mars, just <laughs> sort of looking at the actual cricket they've played in the last few years? Do you think uh, Do you think New Zealand deserve to be better than England because, you know, they just beat England at home, uh, in, you know, just this summer? And, and then South Africa seem to be dropping down quite consistently since they've lost a few big-name players. Well, I'm happy with whatever the rankings say, that if New Zealand are currently above England on the rankings, then that's fine. They've got a pretty fair system of doing it. But in terms of who do I think is a better side, yeah, sure, England lost to New Zealand in New Zealand, but I think that England would beat um, New Zealand in England. Um, and I think England are a better side. So, so Africa, you've got uh, Australia first, India second, England third. Yeah, and after that... It's a bit of a lottery, isn't it? Oh, Gee, uh, yeah. I mean, South Africa are a real concern. Uh, it, it, it's remarkable that they have done so well for so long, given the struggles they've got in that country for a variety of things, but not, not least of which that um, dozens and dozens of their players play in England. They should be proud that they've done so well for so long, and hopefully that is not starting to end, because it would be a real shame if over the next decade South Africa became a relatively easy side to beat in Test cricket. That would be a real problem for Test cricket. I agree with you, Paul. And the last cricket headline for this week, John Pirrick from The Age in Melbourne wrote an article quoting uh, the, the great Pakistan fast bowler Wazim Akran, who can't understand why Dean Jones has not been offered an international coaching role or why he's not coaching in the Big Bash. Now, I, I absolutely 110% agree with Akram about this. I cannot understand why Dean Jones is not coaching in the Big Bash, at least not only because I think he would be a very good coach and his results overseas seem to indicate that, but he's a walking headline machine. The Big Bash needs big names in there and coaches are a part of that, especially with all these you know, silly drinks breaks and stuff. You need you know, interesting characters and I think Dean Jones is one of them. So get him in the Big Bash. I think there's a sense that maybe he's just a bit too eccentric um, for Australia. But, but that's why you should get him in. No, no. That's why you should get him in if you're interested in ratings. Yes. But if you're interested in uh, actually winning the tournament, then that doesn't come... You know, that could be a negative. That I think that there's a perception that maybe he thinks outside the box, and in some ways that's brilliant, but in other ways that he's just a little bit too much outside the box and that he might have half the team that think he's the best coach ever and half the team think, oh, Dino, what's he on about today? But... Uh, look, I'd be open to it, and um, <laughs> I say that as though I've got it's some. Your decision. My decision. Well, <laughs> get Dino in the big bash. That's my comment. Get Dino coaching here. I've got a lot of affection for Dino, and I think he, you know, his record's so good. He was pretty unlucky to be cut from the Test side when he did back then, and yeah, I, I'd, I'd be happy to see more of him. 
All right, that's it for the week of cricket headlines. Now, to finish this podcast, Paul, we have an old segment, but an absolute favourite. It's the commentary critique segment. All current cricket commentators switch off now. You're not going to like this. Um, it, it also adds a little bit to it now, Paul, that you and I are dabbling in some very low-level cricket commentary at the Sheffield Shield. I think there's uh, we've got a different insight into it. So I tweeted out last night... Um, so it's Wednesday here, so Tuesday, I tweeted out, I would love to hear your thoughts on the standard of the Big Bash commentary and who are your most and least favourite commentators. How is Tim Payne doing? And I received a huge response, starting with Chris McPherson, who works with us uh, on the New South Wales Sheffield Shield commentary. Paul, can you read out Chris's response? He said, really enjoy Howie, Gilly and Roy. Not a huge fan of BJ. Or on Channel 7, Richardson. Punter, always insightful. Good stuff, Chris. I agree with a lot of that. I don't mind BJ. Not a fan of Richardson. Uh, all right. I don't he, mind Richardson. I think he's quite, he's, um, he's from a horse racing background. I've yeah, got affection for him. Yeah. And he also was ran in the stall gift. Yeah, because there's not enough people out there that know cricket. Um, Diddly Squat, the next reply. Surprisingly, for an Englishman, my favourite is Ricky Ponting. My least favourite is Michael Vaughan. Should confirm, Diddly Squat is his name. That wasn't a comment on his thoughts of the commentary. <laughs> yeah, that, that, sorry, that was, <laughs> that was his tw- Twitter handle, as old men say. I really like Michael Vaughan. I find this very surprising. What I like about Vaughan is he gets it. He's happy to give big opinions. He's happy if the players don't like him. He's not shy. He's quite entertaining. It actually seems like he's an interesting person. I think that comes across on the coverage. He's got a good sense of humour. So I thought he was, you know, quite abrasive and maybe, you know, rubbed a few people, especially Aussie fans up the wrong way when he was playing. But yeah, I really like him. Me too. Next up, we've got Stuart and he has said, Payne is excellent, very insightful, great cricket brain befitting a winning test captain, humble and humorous as well, superb package, post-test career awaits. Yeah, hard to argue. I think Payne's pretty good. He has said a few funny things about some of the current players. Not sure he's any sort of amazing commentator, though. But anyway, uh, the next one, one of our old panellists, Kiwi Bob. Commentary has been awful. Worst ever. Where has the fun gone? The fielding iPad, question mark. Best commentator, Ricky Ponting. Worst, Lisa Stalaka. No creativity, no flair. Just repeating platitudes like big man, great effort. Well, again, Ricky Ponting getting some praise there. Seems like a lot of people like him. I do really like Lisa Stalaker. I think she's one of the most knowledgeable commentators around. But I think that Bob has a point. I think all this commentary is quite safe. No one's doing anything risky. No one's trying anything different. No one's trying to talk to a 20-year-old. They're still in the same sort of uh, mindset that they were before. I think the only people that have really tried to do anything different was when Triple M did it a couple of seasons ago and they did add some different energy into the commentary. Whether it all worked or not is a question, but I think they were on the right track. All right, next up, Aussie minifan. Hate Howie, he's terrible. Love Ponting, but... Oh, I, I think Howie's quite good. Yeah, that was the Aussie minifan, good friend of mine. Uh, I really like Howie and um, I do like Ricky, but I, I think... I really like Howie, but I do think sometimes he's too reverential to the star players he's with, and sometimes that annoys me. It would be hard not to be, though, because whenever you're in that box and you're not an ex-player, 
you know that all around the players are always the, they're only one centimetre away from going. How many test wickets? Did yeah, you but get? don't buy into that. True. I mean, yeah, true. I mean, he's got a great job. He's done it because he's very good at it, and he's worked really hard for a number of years. And I think shake the imposter syndrome and just you know, if Warney says something stupid, call him out for it. <laughs> be a lot of that going on. All right, Sammy Down, good friend of the podcast. Yes, I like Ponting and Baz. Hard to argue with that. Paul, Michael, who's next? Michael says, I prefer the Fox team over the Seven team. Funny one, because I don't have a big sort of favourites either, but I did find that shades of the test coverage for Seven I enjoyed more than the Fox. I really like sort of Slater and Alison Mitchell and Tim Lane, some of the people that have been in the Seven box. Fox, not so much. But in the Big Bash, it's kind of reversed. Yeah, I really like that in the in the, the test matches, Tim Lane and Alison Mitchell, and it's kind of no surprise to me that I'm always going to – not always, but generally like the professional broadcaster and journalist rather than the ex-player. I sometimes think that ex-players think it's, oh, well, you know, it's a bit of a, a gravy train to get onto us at the end of my Which career. Which it is. It is. It is. Um, Absolutely is. But sometimes the, the, the actual pro broadcasters are doing it for, uh, you know, this is their main thing. And I think that they... And they get there by skill, not how many tests they're playing. Yeah. Um, and there's certainly a place for ex-players, of course. And exactly. some of them, like Tony Gregg, uh, Bill Laurie, Richie Benner, they, they nailed both fronts. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed... Don't backpedal. Don't backpedal. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chris, I've really enjoyed hearing Tim Lane's voice again. That's right. Chris Neve, Ponting is the best right now. Mark War is the worst. The guy is an entitled, arrogant diva. Wow. Mark War getting a slamming. I can see why people annoy Mark Wall because it sort of sometimes comes across that he takes his job for granted. But um, I still like him because there is a bit of him that he's a bit of an odd character. And as I said before, we need a bit more of that in the box. Yeah, I think for everyone who he annoys, there are others who appreciate the way that he talks about it and that um, they feel that he's kind of speaking to them. So, And he does not have a filter. Like if he doesn't think someone's a good player, he'll just say that. He won't kind of sugarcoat it. I remember a few years ago um, after the – I won't name the player because I don't want to embarrass them, but there was a player who batted an entire day in the Sheffield Shield final and didn't hit a boundary. And you know, he got 80 not out or something. It was a very good innings. And they sort of said to Mark, well, what do you think? And he said, oh, if I batted a whole day and didn't hit a boundary, I'd give up. And I was just like, <laughs> could you be more cutting? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, Jim Wilson from Channel 7. Call me biased, but Tim Payne has humility and warmth. He knows the game and is a great leader. His measured approach comes across in commentary. Next one, Lisa Potts. I moach. I mostly watch 7. Foxtel, I only re- really enjoy Mel Jones, Isha Gua and Adam Gilchrist. Well, I like all of them and all of them have been on the podcast. Grace says, I'm so glad Fox is carrying Seven's coverage tonight. Their own commentators are mostly dire. Milo the cat, my second favourite cat after my own cat, Charlie. Of full-time comms, Ponting is brilliant, as is Mark Howard. I even find myself enjoying Warney and Mark War, but really could do without James Brayshaw. Also amazing are all the female voices, especially Mel and Isha. Hard to argue with that. James Brayshaw does cop a bit of heat. He always has, and I've always defended him. I've always said he's not absolutely my favourite, but I don't mind him. I, you know, I think he's better when he's not on Channel 9 as well. And um, Channel 9, he possibly bought into the let's pump it up a little bit too much, but I, yeah, I don't mind him. Gavin Dennett, no relation to me. Um, That's why I put it in, by the way. Keep going. <laughs> also Thought he was a relation. A friend on Twitter. Uh, people choosing the seven team over Fox Cricket will absolutely do me. Wendy, Ponting, a big favourite for me. Junior is frustrating. He just seems grumpy the whole time. 
Lugman Kawaja, least favourite, Payne and Vaughan, most favourite, Ponting and Gilly. Payne was commentating while a certain batsman hit a six. He made it look like the dullest six ever hit. Yeah, I, there is a bit of that to Payne that is not always paying attention on what he's watching. As I said, I don't understand the hate for Vaughan. I think it's just because he's an ex-English captain. Uh, the starting block personal journals, best punter and copes. Worst, Brayshaw and Slater. Can't get on board with that. I love Michael Slater's commentary. I think he's one of the best going around. I like Slater's commentary. I think at his best, he's one of the best going around. And I think he's also someone that has benefited being away from Channel 9. When he, the more he focuses on the game and treats it earnestly, then I think he's got a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, Mark Kaplick, Brayshaw by far the worst. Tony Gregg in his mid-90s heyday of being a massive bellend was more tolerable than Brayshaw. Now, I can't cop this. Tony Gregg... Probably my favourite commentator ever. Wonderful man as well. I met him a few times and had some personal dealing with him. He's a wonderful man, so I can't get on board with that either. Can get on board with this one. This is King Cowboy 2015 <laughs> with a message for Channel 7. So sick of hearing about AFL. It is the dumbest thing ever. I didn't know you had a second Twitter account that you sent that in from. Nope, those. King Cowboy's a very smart person. I tell you what, though. I, I, I have nothing against AFL, but I do... I kind of agree that there is a the, the vernacular of AFL now that Channel Seven have it, and it's it's it's, it's creeping awful. It's in. Disgusting. Like, the other it's day, puky. like they they're calling it a list, and that's a very AFL term. You know, the, the, yeah, exactly. The Renegades even have like a list manager. It's a yes. squad. It's yeah. it's not a list. Yeah, um, and at uh, one point, Mel Jones talked about a, a catch taken and uh, compared it to a previous game that had been caught in a different pocket of the ground. I thought, yeah, James on. Pattinson was talking about marking one at the SCG because he's a big <laughs> Sydney Swans fan, Buddy Franklin style. Come on! This is cricket, people. The only true national sport. All right, Paul, we are running out of time. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can the listeners, listeners find you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at the underscore summer underscore game and on TikTok at paul.dennett. And uh, I'm on Twitter at amenas. I'm on Instagram at amenas cricket. You didn't put Instagram there, did you, Paul? I'm on TikTok as well at amenas. And someone said to me on Instagram that I'm the. In- they said to me on TikTok that I'm their inspiration, Paul. I'm inspiring kids. So on that note, we'll be back next week with another podcast. <laughs> Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.